Bugs, 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 bugs. Let's talk about books, baby. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about books, baby. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about books, baby. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about books, baby. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About Books, baby. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kayla. And today, I am reading The Immortalist. And I am reading The Miniaturist. Um, we did not plan this. A hundred percent not planned. Lindsay, how are you doing? How was the move? Yeah, so I moved and now I have my very own office and podcasting room, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. exciting. So I have a desk. I was previously podcasting on my bed, which Kayla is now doing. I am now (laughs) podcasting on my bed. But yeah, so I have my own room. So it's my office and library. I have my bookshelves and my books in here and I'm going to buy another bookshelf. And I was thinking about maybe like a little couch, a little love seat, Ooh, I like um, it. if okay. I have room for it. But it's also a guest room. So when Kayla comes to visit, uh, she has a place to stay. So Yes, I do. And I have a place mm-hmm. to steal away Benny so exactly. that I can snuggle him for the night. <laughs> and he'd love that. I would just die. I just miss him so much. Yeah, we had a we had a move too, but like some of my family moved out, so now it's it's me holding down the fort. So they took the desk, and so now I am podcasting from a an upturned laundry basket on my bed. You have to do what you have to do, especially now. Exactly. Like I have I have a friend who sent me a picture of her work from home situation, and she has mm-hmm. her laptop on top of Core's uh, box. Stop it. <laughs> That's what she had to work with. So um, I right? thought that was really funny. Um, well, yeah. And like, that's what that's, this is what I have to work with. So like, even when I'm working from home, like when I'm at work, I have this laundry basket basket turned upside down on my bed and I'm working from it all day long. So I have become quite accustomed to this. Honestly, the second I go back to work, I'm going to be like, does someone have a laundry basket? Like anyone? Well- It's so true. I have gotten so used to like my setup here. And actually at work, I have a bigger desk and like actually a lot of space. But now I'm like so used to this that I I don't want to necessarily give it up. But I will be very, I will be very grateful to go back to work. So I will be grateful that the world is not ending. Yes. But I will definitely cause some sort of an uproar at having to be back there. Be like, who did this? Who touched my M&Ms? I honestly am so mad at myself for not grabbing my M&Ms before I left. That was the one disappointment that I had. I had this huge bag of M&Ms that I ate from every single day. You left them. I left them. I left something at work too. I was only there for four days before I left because I had just started. But I brought a tea pitcher. Uh-huh. And I made my tea to keep in the refrigerator because th- we have an ice machine at Petco that makes like the most amazing ice. And so I was like, I'll just make my tea at work. Is it so like that I can sonic have- ice? Like it's like crushed- sonic ice. It's crushed. Oh my God. It's perfect. Uh- it is perfect ice. I swear to God, those four days, I think I just like, I was constantly over there just like filling my cup with ice. I love it. And so I brought my tea pitcher because literally the ice at home always tasted funky. And I'm like, it's not filtered. I brought my tea pitcher and I'm like, I'm going to make my tea at work and drink it at work. And I left it 
no! with, a little, with a little bit of tea in there. So I'm sure it's going to be absolutely just, dis- I'm going to have to toss it once we get back there. It's already been yeah. done. I should probably just invest in a new tea pitcher. I'm going to add that to my target run list. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yes. Uh, again, my working from home thing is that I just find it amazing. Honestly, if I could just stay in this room and work from home for the rest of my life, I would. Honestly, well, yeah. the good thing—the good thing about working from home—is that we have a little bit more time to read. I definitely found a lot of time to read. So yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and get started on my book. It's The Miniaturist by Jesse Burton. This was also made into a miniseries, which I did watch. It's a tiny bit different from the book, but it's actually very similar to it as well. Word for word, some of the things. So basically, this book takes place in the 17th century, um, in 17th century Amsterdam. The main character's name is Nella or Petronella. She gets married off to this man who's maybe about twice her age. But he's a very nice man. He came and asked for her hand and everything. He moved her over to Amsterdam. She was actually from somewhere else. She moves over there with her bird and she moves in with her husband. There's also two servants. One's name's Otto. One's name's Cornelia. Sister's name's Marin. Her husband actually buys her this huge cabinet. It's a huge cabinet that's sectioned off into nine rooms And it's basically a dollhouse. And it's a miniature version of the house that she lives in now. She's kind of taken aback. She doesn't really know what she's supposed to do with it. She does kind of see it almost like a, what, is this because I I, am not good for anything else? Like, it's very, in, in a lot of ways, this is a very feminist novel. I'll just throw that out there right now. She's definitely like, what are you trying to tell me? And then her sister-in-law gives her like a little notebook, like an advertisement, which the miniseries is with all these British actors. So every time I read it, I read advertisement. (laughs) (laughs) She goes in and she finds a, a listing for a miniaturist. And so she requests that they make certain items. And she just sends the letter off. One thing I found super funny about this book is that Nella is 18 years old and she is a virgin. For the first half of the book, she was like hungry for it. I want to lose my virginity. But her husband's like not touching her. Like he sleeps in another room. She like leaves the key in the door being like, maybe he'll come. No pun intended. But then there's a line where she says uh, she woke up the next day and the key was just as she was untouched. Oh, uh huh. Like she wants it, but like not happening. Um, and she can't quite understand why. Her husband takes her to this like awesome feast where she meets these two people, uh, Agnes and Franz Meermans, and they clearly don't like Johannes, which is her husband. The day after the banquet, his sister brings Nella to church and they invite the Meermans over for dinner. So then Petronella, she starts receiving more things. She receives the items that she got from the miniaturist. But when she receives them, she also receives other items that she did not ask for. So one of the items is a chair that she's like, we have that chair downstairs. Really creepy. It's exact an exact replica. Another item that she receives is a cradle. And then she also receives a little miniature version of her husband's beloved dogs. And it was really weird because she didn't ask for them. 
So she has no clue how this person knows what kind of dogs they have, what chair is in their salon. And even when she turns over the dogs, she sees like a little birthmark on one of their bellies that one of the dogs does have. She's super weirded out. She's like, I do not want anything else from you. But then the miniaturist actually sends her more stuff. And she's just so weirded out. He sends her, uh, he, I say he, but it's actually because just because she doesn't know who they are. They send her a little bird cage with like a par- her a parakeet in it, just like the one she has, and just stuff like that. And she's just so weirded out because it's almost like, are they spying on me? And she, she feels like they're trying to intimidate her and her husband. So anyways, the Meermans come over. They, they are actually uh, business partners with her husband. They have sugar, tons and tons of sugar, and her husband is the merchant who's selling them. So they're business partners, even though they don't like her husband. Then that night, Agnes does tell Petronella, uh, you know, yes, sometimes I go to visit my husband, blah, 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 at work. And so Petronella the next day is like, I'm going to be a good wife. I'm going to go visit my husband at work. She's really, really trying so hard to get him to love her and to get him to treat her like a wife. Even after like the the banquet that they went to, she tried to come on to him and he actually like kicked her out of the room. Uh, very awkward, very awkward scene. She grabbed him, like she kissed him and he kissed her. She like grabbed him down there and he like kicked her out. What happens is she goes to visit him at work. And when she gets there, she's so excited to, to visit him. And she's just running to his door and she walks in on him God, why do all my books have blowjobs in them? She walks in on her husband getting a blowjob from another man. And the thing is, back in 17th century Amsterdam... That was a no-go. Being gay was a death sentence. Oh, And so she screams, runs away. She's just, like, out of commission for, like, a week. And her sister-in-law, who's, like, a really tough lady and is just... It's kind of unforgiving. She asks Nella to please, please stay. You know, we saved you. Like, we saved you from your home. Like, you you guys had no money. And Nella was like, yes, but I, now I don't get to be a proper woman, is what she says. And this is where that whole feminist quality comes in. She says, I don't get to be a proper woman. I don't get to have a husband who's going to love me. I won't have children. And um, And her sister-in-law says, you know, you can be a proper woman without having those things. Because she doesn't have those things. Fast forward, she decides to stay just to save the rest of the household as well. She doesn't want them to be torn apart because of this. I should mention really quickly, Otto is actually black. So he is black. He's the first black person she's ever seen. There are no other black people in Amsterdam. And Johannes treats Otto like a beloved friend. Like they are very close. It's very, very sweet relationship that they have. Anywho. Petronella actually receives dolls from the miniaturist depicting all of the people in the household, including Franz Meermans, Agnes Meermans, and Jack Phillips, the one who she saw giving a blowjob to her husband. She's like, how is this possible? How? So that whole thing happens. Petronella does actually find out that the miniaturist is a woman. At first, she's very like ashamed of herself. She's like, I should have been lifting this woman up. I'm going to keep writing to you. I'm going to be keep requesting things from you. And she's starting to see, though, that, like, this woman, like, the things that sh- she is seeing and the things that she's sending her, she shouldn't know about. So Petronella does kind of think that there is a certain almost magic to, to her skills. Later on, what does end up happening 
our dear Johannes has to leave to go to Venice. When he leaves, Petronella comes home to find Jack Phillips, the man that he had an affair with, in the house. And he's very angry because he's like, where is he? Where is Johannes? And he's saying horribly mean things to them, kind of trying to turn them against her husband, I suppose. And then he actually ends up killing their dog. One of their dogs. Yes, he kills their dog. He stabs it like right in the head. Her husband loved the dog more than her. She even says that. And then Otto, who, as I said, is black, fights with Jack, accidentally stabs him in the shoulder. Jack runs away. And he's like, oh, now I have proof. So they're very scared that something's going to happen to Otto. And obviously, Johannes is just devastated when he comes back and finds out that his dog is dead. And he goes looking for Jack. When he comes back, he's like, I found him. It's almost like he's not really going to do anything. And then one day they wake up and Otto is actually gone. He has left. And Marin, the sister-in-law, says, basically, I told him to leave. But then the militia actually do come for her husband. And he tries to get away, but they catch him and throw him in jail. Now, the court proceedings were very... It it kind of slowed down for me. It just felt like a lot of the same stuff a little bit. So I got a little kind of bored in that area. She wants to actually sell the sugar so that maybe she can buy his freedom. Because Franz and Agnes, they are actually the reason that he's in jail. They caught him having sex with Jack Phillips. And they said that he was sodomizing him and that he was beating Jack Phillips. And Jack Phillips is so angry about being left on the wayside. They want revenge, all this stuff. And so Nella wants to save her husband. She tries desperately to sell the sugar in it with enough time to save his life. When she's at court, she actually does see that Agnes is holding something. And when they are about to leave, she goes down to Agnes's chair and sees that she left it there. It was a miniature version of Nella. So Agnes is actually getting her stuff from the miniaturist too. Got it. After court, Nella goes to the miniaturist's office, whatever, and she does run into the miniaturist's father. And the miniaturist, it turns out her name is actually Petronella. So kind of awkward there. It was a weird, awkward thing. He basically says she she's always had this gift and people always have come to her and stuff like that and asked for help. Petronella tries as hard as she can to sell as much sugar as she can. But in the end, she's not able to kind of complete the task. Also... She finds out that her sister-in-law is pregnant out of wedlock, uh, ends up having the baby. Then the sister-in-law actually ends up dying the next day. Oh, no. Yes, it's very sad. And they are like, we're not going to tell Johannes that she's dead because he's about to die. And, you know, we don't want this to break his spirit. The baby is still alive. She goes to court, finds out that her husband has been sentenced to death. When she goes back to the house, she finds out and sees that Marin's child, who she left behind when she passed away, is actually black. Oh. Marin is not black. Yeah. So they're like, oh, my God. So basically, she slept with Otto. She slept right. with their servant. And they were like, they, I had no idea. None of them had any idea that that was going on. But then it kind of does take you back and and shows you all of the little things that she said, mm-hmm. all of the little clues that she gave. In the end, it's also very sad because Petronella does lose her husband. He does get killed for 
his acts of sodomy, which, you know, whatever, you know, it, it wasn't actually that, but he does get killed. It's very sad because honestly, it kind of did seem like he was starting to fall in love with her or that he did love her. When she goes to leave, she actually does see that Otto has returned okay. and he actually returned in time to see his master be drowned. And he was very sad about it because they were very close. Then she takes him back to the house and shows him that he has a daughter. And he's very grateful for that. He's very sad that Marin passed away. But he says, you saved the baby. And that's why he can That's why he came back. And he talks about sacrifice, how she sacrificed herself and her body for this baby. It's a very sweet story, but a very sad ending. It really breaks my heart because the thing is, Nella wanted to be loved. That's all she wanted. And one, I did not like that they took that away from her. They gave her a husband who was never going to sleep with her, was never going to give her a child. They took away everything that she wanted. But if you look at the flip side, Marin, she, she tried to kind of play it off like Franz was the one who was the father of her child. In the end, it was Otto. They come to the conclusion that the reason she never got married was she was basically like, she did not want a man's power to define her. And she she didn't think that she needed to be a wife or a mother to be whole or complete. And she liked Otto. She wanted to be with Otto. And then this happened to her. But so I, I thought that that was actually very cool because they are they're almost reverse images. You know, Nella wants right. to be a mother, wants to be a wife, wants to be loved. And Marin's like, I don't need any of that stuff. So I thought that that was pretty cool. Throughout the book, there is that commentary on homosexuality as well, mm-hmm. because you have Johannes, who is gay, he just he loves his wife, but he doesn't love her in that way. Because of the time period with it being like 17th century Amsterdam, there is no mercy for homosexuality. And so you have all of these very, very religious people like spewing religion. And yet, when it comes time for them to have mercy on them, they're like, no, we're going to use you as an example, essentially. So it just very, very sad because Johannes was actually a pretty religious guy. And, and it was very sad that they had turned on him. If you're looking at a book, you usually have an antagonist. And in this book, although Franz and Agnes and Jack are the reason that are the reason that Johannes goes to jail... The funny thing is that they're not necessarily the bad guys. And they try to point that out in the book, too, because when they're all on trial, they some of them can't even look at him. The way that they killed gay people back in that time, I guess, is they would wrap a, a rope around their neck and then they would tie it to a big, basically a big cinder block. And then they would throw them in the ocean and they would drown. Wow. And so when they're about to do that, Johannes goes, he's about to go overboard And then Agnes actually walks away because she can't watch it happen. When Franz is on trial, he gets kind of flustered because Johannes actually tells him, like, I I forgive you. And it's, it's a very sad moment. These people, I would say that none of them are the bad guys. The bad guy in this story is actually greed because it's greed and revenge because Franz is very upset at Johannes because of something that happened in their past. And also, like, now he's kind of using, like, Johannes not being able to sell their sugar as 
like, and now he goes and does this, you know? And honestly, part of me thinks that Agnes kind of likes Johannes, but also I think she's kind of mad because her husband was in love at one point with Johannes's sister. And so it's kind of like she's fighting for that spot. The truth is like, this book is really, really, really good. The ending was like very sad for me because I love a good happy ending. And I was very sad that there wasn't a happy ending in this. But I also had that moment of, but was there not a happy ending? There wasn't, obviously. But if you were to find any sort of silver lining in this ending, it would be what Otto talks about, about the fact that Marin sacrificed her her body for this child. And the truth is, that's kind of the theme of this story is sacrifice. Because Johannes, he sacrificed himself for one, for his ideals, but also two, for his family, because he didn't want anything to happen to Otto. He didn't want Otto to be blamed for Jack's wounds. So he took all the blame, even though he told them, you're wrong. I didn't do any of this stuff. He did take the blame. And then Marin, she did not want the child's future to be stained. She didn't want Otto to be stained. She didn't want their family to be stained. So she... Like, so she basically was like, no, we're going to give birth without a midwife. We're going to keep this as secret as we can. And then that's why she died. It's actually very sad, too, because the placenta was still stuck inside of her. So she never gave birth to the placenta. Actually, something similar happened to my sister. When I read that part, I was like, she's going to start hemorrhaging. Yeah. And she eventually died. So it was very, it's kind of scary for me because I was thinking about my sister in that moment. And I was like, I'm so grateful that nowadays we have the technology and the healthcare workers that we do because they looked at my sister's placenta. Sorry to be gross, you guys. It was completely void of any amniotic sac, which meant that wow. that was actually still inside my sister. So they had to do something called a DNC. And just, so just knowing that like, it was something like that that needed to be done. And I was sitting there and I was like screaming at the book like, no, you have to give birth to the placenta. Like you can't just leave it in her. They didn't listen to me. Yeah. But honestly, like it's such a good book. Like if anyone, I, I know I skimmed through it so, so, so quickly. But if you give it a chance, it's such a fantastic book. So well written. I will say I wish that they would have kind of showed the miniaturist more. I wish that they would have actually had some sort of a face-to-face in the series, in the miniseries, they do. And very interesting. It's a very interesting moment. I, I want to say the miniseries kind of answers a lot of unanswered questions from the book. It's all for- good when the show enhances what the book didn't get to say. Oh, for uh, sure. For sure. And like in the miniseries, the, the miniaturist, she is explaining to Nella like, no, I don't have magic. And Nella was like, you were able to see our future. You were able to see the things that were going to come. She said, I wasn't. She was like, but you knew what kind of cradle she was going to order for her baby. And she goes, no, I gave you the cradle. She liked it. So she ordered an exact replica. And then she was like, but what about this? And she said, no, you did that. So it does kind of offer this question of was it was it her being able to tell what was going to happen? Or did the things she sent, did they enhance uh, Nella's choosing or her choice? It's such an interesting concept. Like, really well done, Jesse Burton. Really well done. That really brings it straight to my book. I read The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin. And a lot of the same... Uh, ideas of kind of like the miniaturist did did she see the future or did she what she sent 
affects the future because it changed your choices and it changed your ideas. The Immortalist is about four siblings who, when they're all relatively young, I think the oldest is only like 12 or 13, they go to see a fortune teller and her thing is she tells you the day that you're going to die. And so that's kind of the the beginning of the book. And then it goes into sections and each section focuses on each sibling. And so it goes in order of how they die or in order of when they die. And it goes in order also, they die in the opposite order that they were born. So the youngest goes first and the oldest goes last, Um, which is very sad, but I found it very interesting. I thought So the siblings are Vara, Daniel, Clara, and Simon. They are all very unique and very independent of each other, but also a little Mm -hmm. bit reliant on each other. We only hear Varya's date is like hella in the future. (laughs) Like it hasn't even happened in our time yet, right? So this is in the the 70s, the late 70s. And then we hear Simon just says young. He doesn't say the date. So we, we don't really know their dates, right? We go into Simon's chapter and we know that he's going to die young. He is 17 and he is leaving without finishing high school and decides to go to San Francisco with his sister, Clara. Kind of the, his inner thoughts are he goes because he knows he's about to die young. So why not live his life? So he basically ditches his mom. His his dad died and he ditches his mom and his mom like really relied on him. You know, he was the youngest and but he's he's like, I need to live my life because I know that I'm about to die. And of course, none of them really know if if the fortune teller is real or legit or whatever, but they were so young and it was so impactful on their lives that they decide let's go with the fact that it's true and and live our lives and so sure Simon's like I'm gonna die young they go to San Francisco he knows that he's gay San Francisco in the 70s he's gay he's having the time of his life but it obviously leads to why he dies which is from AIDS which is very sad and unfortunate I actually I really enjoyed I think Simon's was my favorite chapter mainly because he really trusted that the date the fortune teller gave him was correct and so he was like I'm going to just live my life to the fullest and even when the epidemic kind of started he he didn't even think or worry about it very deeply because he was like, this is probably it. This is probably why. Oh, so Um, he had a feeling. He had a feeling. Yeah. And then he, he got it. He had a friend that died and obviously the end of his, his life, the last, you know, couple months were just absolutely terrible. So um, it was very sad, very heartbreaking, but he's in San Francisco with his sister, Clara. And so as we go into Clara's section, we see that she really loves stage magic, not, Harry Potter magic, but extravagant tricks and cards and things like that. So she really wants to make something of magic and make it her thing. And so her time, she knows that it's coming. She was going to be like 32. So she knows that it's coming relatively soon after 
Simon dies because she's a little bit older than him. She starts this magic show. She meets someone. They have a baby and the baby's a year or two old. And it's getting to the point where her magic show's actually grown and she have a show in Vegas. And so it's the first day. It's on December 31st, her first show. And that was the date that she was given was January 1st of the new year. Mm-hmm. And she also kind of has this sixth sense of she feels like she can communicate with Simon and with her dad through knocking. So she hears like knocks and she's like, that's Simon talking to me. And so she, she figures out this code for the knocking and is like, oh, he's saying meet me or whatever, like come to me. And so she's like, Simon wants me to come to him. I'm about to die. That's her reasoning. And so she eventually on the night that they're supposed to have their big show in Vegas, she goes up to the top floor of the hotel that they're in and commits suicide in no. the penthouse suite. Yeah. So she basically fulfills the fortune teller's prophecy herself, but it was because she was so wrapped up in this idea of, okay, the date was correct for Simon. It's going to be correct for me too. And she got so wrapped up and she lost Simon. She had lost her dad and she was so wrapped up in, in the dead that she Mm -hmm. felt like she had to do something to join them. That ends Clara's story. And honestly, I really enjoyed this, the first two Simon and Clara's stories, the second two, not so much, but I also thought it was kind of interesting. They all, with the exception of Daniel, die based on kind of who they were and their personalities. So Simon is gay and he dies from AIDS. Clara is a magician and she had this rope trick where she would actually hang from a rope by her teeth in one Mm -hmm. of her acts and she ended up hanging herself. Varia, she's a scientist who does research on aging and she was the last one to die and she would have died at you know 87 years old or whatever so I thought that was kind of interesting so with the exception of Daniel they all kind of died in the way that their lives were lived so Daniel he is also a little caught up with the date but he is a doctor for the army when people enlist he does their physical to make sure they are okay to be enlisted and it's post 9-11 and so he's really passionate about about it and serving the country and, and whatnot. He has a wife. He doesn't have any kids. It gets to the point where he becomes obsessed with the fortune teller because an FBI agent who looked into Clara's death thought that the fortune teller might have something to do with it, that there was a potential murder because they knew these dates. And so basically Daniel becomes obsessed with this idea of it's the fortune teller's fault that I no longer have a family. He does all this research and he goes to find her. And it's on like day after Thanksgiving, which is the day that he was given. And he goes up to the fortune teller in her like little trailer house and the FBI agent knows that Daniel was a little obsessed. So when Daniel's wife hasn't heard from him, cause he had to drive like, seven hours to get to her. Yeah. She's like, something's wrong. And she calls this FBI agent. So the FBI agent goes and basically Daniel is holding a gun to the fortune teller and the FBI agent shoots Daniel in an attempt, obviously to save the fortune teller's life, but kills Daniel on the day that the fortune teller had given him. So basically that leaves Varya and she is the last of the siblings. We see that Varya is single. 
she is all alone and she is incredibly OCD and germaphobic. And so I actually really, I related to Varia probably the most (laughs) because of the OCD and germaphobia. Yeah. So she does this research with monkeys on aging and how living a clean and healthy lifestyle affects aging overall. And so she's very uptight, exactly what you would expect from a character like this. And she's so obsessed with her research that she like packs these little bags of food for herself. And like people think it's like for the monkeys. Like that's how like how she eats, right? Mm -hmm. Never eats out, never allows her back to touch the back of a chair, is just completely OCD to the extreme. Every extreme, yeah. We actually find out that she was pregnant at one time with her professor's baby. She didn't want to get an abortion, so she ended up giving him up for adoption. And he comes to find her. And he kind of helps open her up to the idea of having a family. Because she she was very closed off from her family. Obviously, they all died. And so, beside, with the exception of her mom. And yeah. so, she, he kind of comes into her life. And they kind of slowly build their relationship. And it actually ends with Clara's daughter comes to do a magic show in the community that her, technically her grandma, but the, the sibling's mom lives in. And so that's how the story ends. And so we don't know, obviously, when Varya actually dies. Yeah. But you can kind of assume that because she was given an old age date, that was probably most likely when she would have died. The theme is the power of belief. Did the fortune teller, was she actually, <laughs> did she actually tell the future or... Did the the siblings just really, truly believe? And I want to say, I actually feel like it's a little bit of both. Because there's no way that just by coincidence, Simon died on the day that he was given from AIDS. You don't get AIDS and no one knows exactly when you're going to die, you know? And so that, that for one, could not have been... Didn't she just say young for him? No, she gave him a day, but he didn't tell the other siblings. Oh, okay. He okay. he just told them young because he didn't want to tell them the exact day because he was only going to be like 20 or 21. And Which, so, can I just say that that is a very mature thing for a child his age to do. To yeah. be like, I'm not going to worry my family. Right, that he was only seven years old and he was like, I'm not even going to tell you what day it is. So I feel like she did know, but... I think a lot of it could have been avoided if Clara hadn't committed suicide. If Daniel hadn't left his house that day and gone to find her, they all really believed it. And so they went out and lived their lives a certain way because of that belief. And so maybe if they hadn't believed it so strongly, you know, Simon maybe wouldn't have gone to San Francisco and he would have lived a very, with his mom and lived his life and maybe wouldn't have gotten AIDS because he would have been afraid to come out to his family and wouldn't have had a boyfriend or whatever. Or Um, would have just been with a partner that didn't have AIDS because I'm sure AIDS was running rampant in New York as well. Yeah. So I, I found that that was very interesting. I think that she could tell the future, but I think that there was still this element of you have the ability to change your future by every Mm -hmm. choice that you make. And so if she was telling the future in a way that she saw it in that moment when they were all young, But by every choice you make, you could potentially change that future. And so 
they held, held such this belief that she was right. And so they lived their lives a certain way, maybe if they had forgotten about it or whatnot. So I think that's a little bit of both that she could tell the future, but also that they had this belief and made their choices. I do think I would have given the book a different title. I feel like The Immortalists, that title, I was very, I was not expecting the book that I got. I actually yeah. thought it was going to be a book about magic and like fortune and, and, you know, things like that. And I was yeah. deadly wrong. I mean, I would even call it like literary fiction. It's not even a magic book besides that element of the fortune telling. Uh, I did really enjoy the way that the siblings died that the way that they lived or similar to the way that they lived or mm -hmm. in that way. Um, I thought that it really added value to the story. I did see a lot of really bad reviews and I just don't, I didn't really understand them. I thought that it was, I actually really enjoyed it. It took me a little bit to get into and like, sure understand what was going on but by the time I got to the end I was I really appreciated all of their individual stories and how they kind of came together as a whole so overall I give the book four stars I thought I thought that was really good so yeah so I enjoyed it and I recommend it yeah uh so Mike I had a question though so in, in terms yeah. of Varia like with her being the oldest with her being a scientist do you think the way that you described it, it kind of seems like Varya wasn't as concerned with her date. No, she wasn't. She definitely wasn't. She didn't think about it. Also because her date was so far in the future and that she was going to essentially die old. Yeah. She didn't think much of it because of that. Everybody else died relatively young. I mean, even Daniel was, was like early 50s. Okay. And so, or even in his 40s. And so three youngest kind of had that in the back of their mind of, oh, we're going to die young. Yeah. Whereas Aria was kind of like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm going to die old. Like her yeah. it doesn't mean anything to me. And so I, I, I think one of kind of the underlying thoughts is because she didn't really care, do, do you think that it changed her future? Do you think that it changed her date? And I don't necessarily think so. I think that she was going to die on the date that she was given because she was going to die old. And that, yeah. I think that that's a legitimate way to die, obviously. That's, that's the way you want to go. And so I think that that seems reasonable. And so I don't think that necessarily because she lived her life a certain way, it was going to change that date for her. I think that was always going to be her date. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I think that both stories kind of give you something to think about, right? Totally. And you know, it actually it actually brought up something in me where in my religion we believe there are two days that are written for you, the day that you are born and the day that you die. And even with the day that you die, it's like you were supposed to die on a certain day at a certain time. Right. And and the interesting thing is like these people in a way, they they really did make their that fortune come true, but maybe they would have died anyways. Maybe Clara, who knows? What if Clara was supposed to die at that time? But like, what if the only thing that she changed was how she died? Right. What if she would have died by getting hit by a car? What if she would have died by a heart attack? But instead she took her own life at that time. But somehow, because of the choices that they made, they died some in another way. I don't always appreciate reading books. Like, sometimes I just want something that, like, 
I can take my mind off life and stuff. But this one I really appreciated, um, especially getting to Varya's chapter where she's very OCD and germaphobic. I was like, you're like, I soul sister. <laughs> I was like, I can totally relate to you. And I'm, I love this chapter because of that. She was uh, overall, I'd say her chapter was a little boring, but I related to her a lot. And so I was like, okay, I, I will eat this up because I get it. Well, life so, is boring. Life is really true. boring. It, it just true. is. Sometimes you just want a boring life anyway. I think I would read that and I would 110% watch that in a movie. Thank <sighs> you so much for listening. And thank you everybody who's been liking and commenting on Instagram too. And everyone who has subscribed. If you haven't already, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. It would yes. be awesome. Also, feel free to recommend books, guys. Yeah. Like, we are not ones to be like, no. Yeah. But we will all. definitely take them into consideration. We'll read them and we will let you know what we think so that you can have a friend to listen to about what they thought about your book. Yeah. And also, if you've read any of the books that we have, please comment on Instagram and let us know what you thought about it. I always make sure that there's a post individually for each of our books so that if anyone wants to have a discussion about it or talk about what we talked about we can kind of do that in the in a thread on instagram um so please comment and interact with us we'd love it mm -hmm. all right you guys we'll miss you until next time bye all right bye